You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Well met, fellow adventurers. So, after getting that incredibly powerful wing in the last in the last episode, I can now with even more confidence continue on with the seventh Proving Ground series, which I must warn you does not it, it, it you don't get to the end of it right now. So, maybe you won't want to listen to it this series at all if you don't want to, you know, be left hanging but I, I think that all the stuff happening here will presumably happen when it's complete so yeah well well just we'll see all right on to part six of it paths cross at the conclusion of the previous part with no time to dwell on your victory you step back from the remains of the giant otoruk and immediately begin to plot your next move Still determined to do what you can to rescue the six people that may that may be somewhere in the village. You're about to set off when something hard and sharp presses firmly against your spine. Wait, six people now? That people I'm saving keeps changing. Looks like our paths have crossed again, snarls a low, masculine voice from behind you. Tell me, friend, what brings you to Stokebrook? And now... With your every muscle in your body tensed, and your heart pounding wildly, you boldly demand, in a clear, unwavering voice, the unknown assailant, who has unquestionably attained the upper hand, reveal himself, almost immediately, as a direct response to your inquiry. The object pressing against your spine is withdrawn. A bit more grey than when we last parted, Issues a suddenly familiar voice from behind you, his tone almost playful. Not sure you'll recognise me, but I might take great offence if you don't. Overcome with relief, you turn and find yourself face to face with an old friend and companion. As the man standing before you Im- imitated only a moment ago, he indeed looks considerably older, almost unnaturally so, than he did when you were last in his company. 
Dewey Galgloff, the, the lower portion of his face largely concealed beneath, behind a matted, grizzled beard, smiles broadly as he lowers and sheaths his sword. He then steps towards you and initiates a shoulder cross. Although you momentarily meet him in the gesture, you find yourself mo- though you promptly meet him in the gesture, you find yourself momentarily taken aback and a complete loss loss for words at the unexpected turn of events. Well, it's not that unexpected. We were told just a couple of just a couple of parts back that he was around. In an v- instant, a vivid scene plays out in your mind as you clearly and fondly recall one of the last times you saw the Troll Hunter. You clearly recall one of the last times you were with Jewick. The journey to Twithick is long and relatively uneventful. By the time the walls of the Adderstone loom into view out of a thick morning fog, Nearly a week after you broke camp at the site of Ryle's grave, the company is eager for comfortable quarters, a hot meal and a chance to spend their hard-earned gold. Dewey tells his men to continue into the city ahead of him, but they are only too happy to accommodate his request. They, they each bid farewell to you in turn, and several of them say they hope your paths will cross again one day. Tavar and Brecken each pull their steeds in close and meet you in a shoulder cross before we, before rejoining the column of huntsmen now moving up to the city gates. You don't need me to sing your praises, smiles Dewig, meeting you in another shoulder cross. I've never met anyone quite like you, Zoop, and whether you know it or not, you give me a good, give me a new look at all. Who knows? After some dress, rest and a few drafts, maybe I'll see it all differently again. Thank you, friend. Jurig presents you with a sizable quantity of gold. You attempt to politely refuse his generous gift, but he'll hear nothing of it, and the matter is quickly settled. Well, he says, turning to look at the walls of Twithy behind him. Think I said to you by the fire one night a while back that I might see some, might someday see my way to giving up. Maybe today is someday. Dewey turns to you, then glances back at the city, then turns, then looks at you once more. Well, in any case, he says, there are some things that need to be reconciled, for I can again listen to the calls of the call of the wilds. But for right now, I hear only the alehouse calling now. With all that gold you're toting, Zoop, the least you could do is buy me an ale. A cool breeze drifts out of the west. Calls breeze out of the west stirs the thick fog that swirls and eddies across the road leading up to the city gates. You cautiously motion for a jury to lead the way, and he smiles broadly, urging his horse into a trot. The sun is finally beginning to pierce the early morning haze when you ride into Twithick, side by side with the troll hunter. The memory swiftly fades as your thoughts return to the present. Keeping well, I see, says Gewig, still smiling as he withdraws his hands, though you sense something weighty, something weighs heavily on his mind. You haven't lost your touch, 
the walking sticks have every reason to worry about worry the two of us after after them. What brings you out this way? Not these walking sticks, I hope. Hurriedly detail for your own friend your encounter with Perthrum on the road outside Stokebrook, and your mission to rescue the innkeeper and the family who, presumably, remain trapped in the inn. You also make mention of Hamelier Blackling, the town protector, who, along with a band of three men, went missing after venturing into the Oterok-infested settlement. Jerick nods grimly, and to- tells you in turn that he and a handful of his huntsmen have tracked a large number of Oterbrook to Stokebrook. We've been clearing them out where we fired them, he says, casting a weary glance about. Not quite at liberty to reveal my paymaster, but there's nothing sinister in it. Not so lest, lest bags, are, bags of gold are looked up on of such. I've seen more of these Oterok, as you call them, than I would care to, but I've never seen something like this. Never seen them descend upon a town like this. I've never seen so many of them. These people you are looking for, they're in the inn? Jurek tells you that the men pursued a sizable legion of Oterok to the eastern edge of town, while he rested here, searching for anyone still lingering in the heart of the abandoned settlement. Looks like our tasks are similar. And right now, we're on our own, he says, slapping on the shoulder as he again draws his sword. Let's go see if anyone's in the inn and fetch them out there. You don't mind coming along, do you? I promise I'm handy, that I'm handy in a fight. Ha, to be honest, I've become rather fond of smashing these things. It's not bonk work, mind. But it's got a great, great charm all its own. You exchange a nod with Jurig, and the two of you start towards the inn. As you draw up to the front of the oddly straight structure, its thick door suddenly swings open, and six Oterocks spill out into the lane. The deadly wooden iron beings immediately take notice of you, and, sw- and stalk swiftly in your direction. Let's go inside and have a look around, says Jurig, as he places himself between... You go inside and have a look around. He places himself between you and the advancing horse. God, I'll keep them off you. You know what? I think he can He can handle this. I am going to enter the inn because I think the more. I think honestly, the more time we stay in the same place, that gives just more time for them to concentrate us on us. So, all right, I'm entering the inn. Heeding Jerry's directives, you leave him to face the six Oterok in the middle of Stokebrook's dusty thoroughfare. A grim sympathy of splintering wood and snarl curses rises up behind you as you move swiftly into the inn. The room you've entered appears to comprise the entirety of the inn's ground floor. On the far side, a broad stair climbs to the second level. With little idea of how to begin your search, you start from the stairs. Suddenly. By the time you spot the lurching Oakrock out of the corner of your eye, it's too late to act. The sinister iron and wood being steps forward and strikes a glancing blow off the side of your head. Stunned and momentarily bewildered, but otherwise unharmed, you pitch forward, manage to catch yourself before landing face first on the floor. As you spring to your feet and turn to face your assailant, you're dismayed to discover 
that the Oshawak has been joined by three of its kin. Yeah, I guess if they're made out of wood, they'd be well disguised in, in a presumably a, a house which, if not made out of wood, probably has a lot of wood in it. Drawing yourself into combat ready stance, you prepare to engage your deadly foes. Alright, first Oshawak. Quick combat, 17 XP. You step over the smashed remains of the fallen Oturok and are immediately met by the second of the wood and iron fiends. Quick combat that. It is slain. Another 17 XP. The second Oturok collapses into a shattered heap at your feet, only to be immediately replaced by a third. Quick combat it. 17 XP. You step back from the twisted remains of the slain foe and extensively draw yourself into defensive stance as you await the advance of the fourth Oturok. The last of the wooden knight beings takes a single step in your direction before suddenly collapsing into a pile of splintered wood and twisted metal. Standing in the doorway of the inn, directly behind the shattered heap, his sword poised to deliver a blow that is no longer necessary, is Jiri. The troll hunter lowers his blade and steps over the threshold, scattering the remnants of the Oturok out of, his, out of the path with the toe of his boot. The sound of movement from the upper floor board draws both your gazes to the steps climbing the far wall. Without a word, the two of you rush to the stairs and begin a rapid ascent, eager to purge the inn of its sinister scourge. Reach the upper floor ahead of Dewey, and immediately find yourself at the end of a board floor. Board hall, face to face with four Oturok. Without a second thought, you hurl yourself at your enemies, and Druig rushes past and intercepts three more of the wooden iron terrors, moving swiftly down the corridor to brew, to join their embattled brethren. Okay, we're taking, I'm taking four, he's taking three. Although he just took on seven, so we're, we're, we're not even yet. First Oturok, quick combat. Seventeen. Without a moment to catch your breath, you engage the, the next Oturok. Quick combat. Seventeen. The third Oturok, its left arm, noticeably shorter than its right, staggers forward and attacks. The savage ferocity of his silent assault momentarily driving you back. Hmm. Am I smashing through so many Oshuak that they're kind of rushing them? Or did did this one put, try to heal itself, but, you know, it, it didn't quite go right? Or, or, or actually it's a perfectly functional Oturok and they're just trying to put me off guard by thinking it's weaker than it is. Anyway, quick combat. Alright, 17 XP. Leaping over the shattered remains of the fallen Oturok, you launch yourself at the last of your wooden iron foes. Well, for now, there'll be more. There's always more Oturok. Quick combat. It is slain, 17 XP. Turning away, turning away from the reins of the last Oturok, you find Druid locked in a desperate struggle against the final member of the trio he engaged. 
The twisted remains of the first two Otoks littered the floor at his feet. He rushed ahead to join the fight, only to have, the o- have an Otok suddenly step out of a doorway or a white. The wooden fiend immediately attacks, swiping out at you with his iron-tipped arms. It's an Otok. Quick, combat it! It is slain! 17 XP. Okay, I can now heal, so I will. There we are, Asterix, breathing heavily as he arrives at your side. He looks down at the smashed remains of the Otrok you just defeated and nods approvingly. Holding a finger to his lips, he he notions with his head to the door at the end of the hall. Heeding the unspoken clue, the two of you begin to move slowly and furtively along the passage, shoulder to shoulder, your eyes fixed on the heavy slab of wood ahead. Without warning, the door flies open. You and Durig instinctively step back and maintain defensive postures as the boarding man, boarding man clad in a mix of cloth and studded leather, steps into the hall. You immediately recognise him to be the lightning-wielding mage who confronted you upon your arrival in Stokebrooks and who subsequently addressed you, inquiring about a book. Before either you or Durig can react, the spellcaster thrusts out his right hand. His arm tre- trembles as a broad arc of blue lightning erupts from his palm. The deadly blast tears into Druig's left shoulder, singing his flesh before abruptly greening your way. So, two options, dodge or fortification. Fortification! It succeeded. 16 x speed at fortification. Channeling your power fortification, you watch as a tall barrier of blue sparkles instantly takes form in front of you. The arc of lightning slams into your magical barrier and is immediately repelled. The mage scowls and swiftly retreats back in, into the womb at the end of the hall, closing the door behind him. You immediately move to Drake's side and examine his left shoulder. He winces and grunts as he lifts his right hand away from the wound. A gruesome patch of seared Bloody flesh, sheared, bloody fleshed, bloodied flesh greets your eyes as you stare down the grievous injury. It's not good, he gasps, managing a spark. Don't worry over it. I've still got my sword arm. I don't need any more than that. Well, do we go after him? His question does not require a response. Almost before he's finished asking it, the two of you again are once again stealing along the hall, side by side drawing ever closer to the door. Suddenly, the door again flies open. You and Duick swiftly assume combat-ready stances as eight Otorok pile into the corridor. The door closes as the last of the Otorok steps out. The the fearless legion immediately starts towards you. Behind us! growls Duick, never once taking his eyes off the advancing Otorok. You turn... You turn around and find the group of Otrok have reached the top of the stairs and are already closing in on you. So, do I attack the Otrok climbing the stairs or the Otrok emerging from the womb? Hmm. Honestly, I think we've got two chains, so we should have two different people attacking them. So, so, we, can't, so we can't get surrounded and we can be... Back to back badasses. Alright, I'll do the Odor climbing the steps. 
with your back pressed to Jirix, you ready yourself to face the Otorok Horde, advancing from the top of the stairs. Your companion prepares to face the others. Here we go. Back to back, badass. <laughs> you exhale sharply and prepare for combat as the first of the Otorok descends upon you. Otorok, one of seven. Quick, combat it. It is slain. 17 XP. With the sound of Zerig's sword tearing through wood and iron foes ringing in your ears, you steel yourself to face the next Otorok. Otorok, two of seven. Quick combat, it is slain. Another 17 XP. I steal myself to face the next. Number three. Quick combat. Oh, that did a lot of damage. Must have got some specials in. Uh, then a heal from that. Number four. The middle one. 14 XP. I must have dealt with that before it had time to adapt. Alright. The Amit of Devastation. Ah, my Quickstone just store, stored a 20. That will come in handy. And it is slain. Another 17 XP. Here's the Promultimate. Quick combat. And here's the final one. Alright, it's right. It's stunned. Okay, I had to finish it off manually as it hurt me too much. But I was helped by Battle Rage. Duh, stop attacking us! We're trying to search for people! Ah, <laughs> 17 XP. You step back from the remains of the last Otorok and turn to find you extending over a tall heap of wooden and iron debris. The tall troll hunter, still clutching the wound on his left shoulder. Zoop! You're a... Let me just check. A master of healing magic. Do something about that. Do something about that, Zoop! Okay, I'm going to use my healing magic, but you're probably going to... Nope, use restoration. Nope, nope, I can only use it on myself. Uh, it's just not programmed in. And I guess it, it would sort of ruin the dramatic tension if I had to just heal him. You step back from the remains of the last Otorok and turn to find Jurek standing over a tall heap of wooden and iron debris. The troll hunter, still clutching at the wound on his left shoulder, acknowledges your victory with a grim nod. That's that, he says. You don't, I don't know. Know that I'm so eager now to go through that door. Once more, the two of you start along the corridor, shoulder to shoulder, your eyes fixed on the door. As you draw up to the end of the hall, Jurek motions for you to take the lead. Right behind you, he whispers. With Jurek at your heels, you kick open the doors and leap into a large room concealed. Much to your astonishment, however, the room is empty. There is no sign to be had of the mage who retreated into this very space not more than a minute ago. A narrow window set into the far wall, not wide enough for anyone but a small child to squeeze through, seemed to suggest the only possible, albeit improbable, Means of escape from the womb. Jurig, moving in from behind you, his keen eyes continuously darting along the hall, 
mutters something and shakes his head. The master woodsman lowers his sword and again grimaces as he clutches at his sin's shoulder. Recalling the ability of the bold mage and his cohorts to vanish into a dust-choked tempest, he quickly relates the premise to Jurek. He nods and stoops to examine the floor the centre of the room. Keep watch that way, he says, motioning with his head to the direction of the hall as he runs his fingers along one of the worn floorboards. He withdraws his hand, rises, and turns to you, pointing with his left forefinger at the floor in front of him. Without saying a word, the huntsman moves over and closes the door. He then crosses the womb and peers out of the window for several moments. For several moments before turning and again pointing at the floor in the middle of the womb. They're gone, he says in a furtive tone, his gaze flicked on the floor. You can come out. Ah, he must have figured out there's some sort of secret passage here. I mean, I know he's a woodsman, so. But he's also, apparently, he's also a grand master of thievery. <laughs> what a guy, what a guy. The floor before you subtly begins to rattle. The soft groans of a hidden set of hinges reaches up your ears as a large section of worn timberwood is pushed up from below, revealing a sizable cavity beneath the plaques, in which a woman and two young girls are crouched. The woman, her expression a mix of anger and fear, rises to her feet and assumes a defiant stance. Shielding the two girls now clinging to her dress, she begins to plead with you, begging you to let her and her children go. The book isn't here, she cries, her voice panic-stricken. My husband has taken it. Taken it. I don't know where he is. Please, you must. As the children begin to sob, clutching tight at the deep folds of their master's dress, you hold up your hands and assure her that you and Jurek mean her no harm. It takes nearly a minute before she calms down and seems to realise you're speaking the truth. Still trembling, she apologises and tells you she feared her hiding price was about to be discovered. Realising, as you recall what Prithni had told you, that this must be Talina, the wife of Ondebura, the inn, innkeeper, you ask her what her hus- where her husband is and about the book she's just spoken of. A book first mentioned to you by the lightning-wielding wand. Jig moves his white hand, still clasped over his wounded shoulder, moves to the door and peers out into the hall. In response to your to your question, Julina shakes her head. She and her daughters climb out of the deep cavity and promptly close, close the floor, again concealing the hidden space. You mustn't stay here, she says stepping over to the far side of the womb. Come, let us go. Gillian runs her hands over the wall and, without warning, a low groan fills the womb as an entire section of the wuffed-hewn timber swings outward, revealing a set of wooden steps that spiral down into the darkness. Without having to be told, her daughters start down the stairs. Motioning for you to follow them, Talina waits until you and Juig are making your way down the stairs before she too steps through the hidden door, closing the cleverly concealed portal behind. 
please, take care, she says, her tone now composed, as you make a slow descent, sent in near total darkness. There isn't any light until at the bottom. Just watch your step. Girls, step slowly. Lord, when you're down, fetch the light and lamp it. And light it. <laughs> you're nearly at the foot of the, the stair when the reassuring glow of a lantern peels away from the gloom. Tuig, who seems particularly relieved to have the darkness banished, steps off the last stair and takes a lantern from, from the girl, holding it up to the light. Up to the light, the last bit of you and yours, of your, of yours and yours and Tolinia's descent, at the bottom. Tolinia, with the lantern now in hand, leads you along a narrow passage that ends at a heavy door. After fiddling with the key for several moments, the door opens and she ushers everyone into a small stone-walled room. Save the door through which you've just entered. There are no other obvious exits. Tolinia sets the lamp on a table and immediately stoops to embrace the children. There's no way out of here, says Juig. There's no way out of here, says Juig, his tone incredulous, as he places his white foot across the chamber threshold and peers along the passage. I don't like this. What are we doing down here? We'll be getting out of here, out of Stonebrook. Tolina makes no attempt to respond. Instead, standing at the centre of the womb, she claps hands with her daughters, closes her eyes and mutters something. At first she believes she's praying, but when her eyes suddenly fly, o- fly open a book and, a, and a look of profound release passes over her face, you realise something quite different has just taken place. He's coming back, she says, somewhat breathlessly, Clasping as she addresses her daughters, those hands she still claps. Your father's coming back. He'll be here very soon. He's still got the book. And that finishes this scenario for 256 experience to general. Alright, it's been less than half an hour. Let's move on to the next stage. Part 7, the book. Alright, and it starts off with what we've just read, so I'll skip it this time. And now, you and Jig flash wary glances at one another. The troll hunter slides his hand down to the hilt of his sword and takes a step back. A look of anguish passes over his grime-streaked face as he moves his wounded shoulder into a more favourable position. Delinia, still holding her daughter's hands, turns to you and nods as if to reassure you about what is to intimately take place. Come on, Zoop. You can heal him now. Heal him. You needn't have any concern, she says softly. Aubrenard, my husband, is almost here. He knows who you are, and he's bringing the book. He's giving it to you. Oh, okay, okay. I guess it's somehow tied into the chaos of Mowermog. Before you can inquire further, a bright flash of silvery light floods the womb. A split second later, when the light has faded, and the chamber is once more lit by the comparatively feeble glow of the lantern, a short, dark-haired, well-dressed man 
steps out of the shadows and swiftly embraces Trelinia and the girls. Then, stepping in front of the women, assuming a somewhat defensive posture, he places his hands on his hips and looks over both you and Jerry. So, he says, in a voice most gentle you imagined, which one of you is Zoop? Trelinia, stepping away from her daughters, introduces the man before you as her husband, or Brinra, propertyer of the Stoke Nook Inn. Then, as if realising she said nothing to explain his sudden, sudden appearance, reveals that he's also an adept spellcaster. Of course he is. The introduction and subsequent revelation served to significantly reduce the tension that's crept into the small gloom. Glating and fortification are my primary disciplines, said Aldenbrah, bowing in turn to you and Jig. So you're Zoop. The sorceress described you well. But even her words don't do you much justice. You're quite a striking figure, you know. I believe the word heroic is not an overstatement here. She left me something for you. I was to hide it, which I did, and then give it to you, which I am. Audenbrough produces a heavy, leather-bound tome and hands it to you. The weighty book's thick, worn cover is emblazoned with the charred silhouettes of what appear to be seven thrones. Hmm, seven thrones. Didn't Woundskin mention there being five thrones? Well, let's have a look at this, Ismene. The leather tome, thrones. This heavy leather-covered tome was given to you by Aldenbrah and Stokebrook. He claimed that Torotor wished for him to give it to you. The thick, worn cover of the weighty tome is adorned with the charred silhouettes of seven thrones. Strange, arcane symbol fill, fill the many pages that make up this curious book. I wonder, are these thrones in any way tied to the Alder Throne? I hope not, because that'll just make things a lot more complicated. Mm. Yeah, I, we, uh, I prefer I prefer my thrones to be made out of anything but Alder. Anything but Alder. <laughs> so it appears we have a mutual acquaintance, and that's Coratel. Says Onibra. You must know I've long considered Coratel. More than just an acquaintance, though. Oh, a great deal more than I can ever hope to repay. She's been a welcome guide through some dark and very troubling times. Yes. There's Cortel. She's... She's complicated. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I just want to, you know, have... Have a nice long talk with her to just explain all the stuff she's been doing. Which means she has to be alive. But, well, she doesn't have to be. Necromancy exists, but that 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 would be just creepy. No, no I want her alive. Ornbrough <laughs> tells you that Coratel arrived in Stokebrook less than a day ago, bearing the book he's just given you. He says that the sorceress implored him to keep it safe and deliver it to your hands. When you ask him about the significance of the book, he shrugs and shakes his head. Looking back at Tolinia, 
and casting a wary gaze in Jerry's direction. Obadar tells you that the book needs to find its way to a man known as Shadowmar in the town of Quillbog. The sudden mention of Quillbog, your current destination, a town at the very centre of your mission, caused you to start. Both Aldebar and Jig seem to take immediate notice of your reaction. Yeah, but only the spellcaster notices now. Yes, we're heading there now, he says. And you mustn't be waylaid for even a moment lo longer. Find Shadowman in Crawbog and give him the book. This is what Coratel told us must happen. I know nothing else about your business, and for that I'm glad. There are too many dangerous secrets rattling around in my cluttered head as it is. Dewig, who stood silent for the last few moments, his eyes incessantly dar darting about, about, about the shadowy corners of the small room, turns and addresses Onupra directly, asking if the book is the reason the altar work attacked Stokebrook. I hope you'll excuse my ignorance, but who are you? asked Onupra, his expression one of mild suspicion. I'll have to assume you're in league with Zoop, though, quite naturally. I'm guarded against making any such assumptions. So... So I could introduce Jirig, or allow Jirig to introduce himself. I think he needs a bit more reassurance. I'll introduce Jirig. Before Jirig can answer, Openbar's pointed inquiry, you, in, you interjected, introduced himself as the Troll Hunter. Well, maybe he's not the Troll Hunter anymore, but I think those sort of titles stick. <laughs> Openbar. Apparently familiar with the amount, not Monica, nods at Jurig and apologises. As, as I said, he says, I cannot make decisions based on assumptions. There's far too much danger in that. I'm honoured to have met you, both of you. And yes, I can only presume that the book is the reason these cursed Otorok and their masters are in Stokebrook. We need to get out of here, says Tulania, suddenly stepping forward and addressing her husband. I'll take the children to their hiding place. You can join us when you finish here. We are finished here, replies Ondebra. We must all leave if we're not back through the inn. We're leaving together. The hiding place is not safe. Not any of them. Girls, fetch the lamp and come with me. Follow along now. Ondebra moves to the far side of the room and uncovers a wooden hatch concealed beneath the grimy remnants of a fur rug. He lifts the heavy slab, revealing a ladder that descends into darkness. Where'd that go? asked Jurig, addressing Jordanbois while watching closely as Tolinia close, closes the door to the chamber. I'll take her safely out of the town, says Tolinia, as she moves up and takes hold of the lantern while Jordanbois steps onto the ladder. Come on, girls, follow your father. Hurry up now. You two need to come along behind us. Jirig, still in obvious discomfort due to his wounded shoulder, flashes you a concerned look. Keep your eye on them, she, he mutters, as he motions for you to move to the ladder ahead of him. After descending less than ten feet, you step off the bottom rung of the ladder and find yourself standing next to Obwinor. Tolinia and their two daughters in a low, narrow, earthen tunnel that extends out of sight to the north. 
doing is, is the last to enter the tunnel, but he imme immediately moves to the front front of the room. Should like to lead us out of here, says Honorbois, clearly offended by our companion's brazen tactics. There's more than one way to go. There are plenty of places, and I think I think we'd all rather not end up. You can tell me the way, says Duig, his sword drawn, and his hardened gaze fixed on the inky gloom hanging like a black curtain at the edge of the lantern's feeble glow. Zoop is going going to be behind us. I don't I don't like my back left a chance. You four keep to the middle. Audebois seems poised to challenge Zurich's sudden assumption of leadership when Turunia takes hold of his white arm and shakes her head. He glances at her, nods, and ultimately sighs. All right, let's go, he says. Girls, stay close. Tully, hand me the lamp. Watch your step. For what seems like an eternity, you follow closely at the heels of the group as Jurek, heeding Audubon's occasional instructions, moves along at a rapid pace through the dark, winding tunnels, make up what you can only describe as a peculiar subterranean maze. Apart from the infrequent sounding of Audubon's voice, as he directs Jurek whenever a choice of passengers arises, the members of your small, swiftly moving band remain silent. Now and again, either Tolunia or one of her girls glances back in your direction, their eyes straining to capture you at the frayed edge of the lantern's glow. Each time you meet one of their wayward glazes, you're suddenly reminded of your duty quickly look over your shoulder at the, thankfully, empty corridor rapidly receding into the gloom. As you turn back towards the gloop, from one of your checks on the passage behind, you nearly walk into Latinia, who's unexpectedly stopped in the middle of the tunnel. Ahead of her, Audubon and Juig are also stopped, their eyes fixed on something in the darkness ahead. Talina's daughters fiercely renew their grips on, her, on their mother's hand. Jurig suddenly shutters the lantern. Soup, he says in a harsh whisper. What is that? Have a look. Is that what I think it is? Stepping quietly past Tulinia and the girls, you arrive at Jurig's side and peer into the gloom ahead. Your eyes, having already adjusted to the darker tunnels, immediately discern the shape of a massive, worm-like creature, no more than a dozen yards ahead. Having quickly identified the creature, you call, whisper, whisper your thoughts to Jerig. He nods grimly and curses under his breath. A carnage crawler, he whispers, frowning Audubonah. Your, your idea of a passage to safety leaves a letter to be desired. I don't think it knows we're here. Stay back, we'll get rid of it. Audubonah, a look of fear spreading over his face, manages to nod as he steps back join his wife and daughters. That's, that's a big one, Jurek whispers to you, as he hands the shuttered lantern to Obwina. Let's have at it. If we get close enough, we can take it down. Take it down before it knows we're here. The dark bulk of the carnage crawler shudders, as if the hideous bulk is about to move, but the deadly worm, his head turned away from your small band, still appears 
to have taken no notice of you. So I've got four options now. Launch an arrow at the Carnage Crawler. Attack the Carnage Crawler with Juig. Let let Juig attach the, attack the Carnage Crawler alone. Or tell Juig you attack the Carnage Crawler alone. Really, I don't want both of us to attack it because then their backs won't then the group won't be defended. And we, they, we need at least one badass to be watching over them at all times. So let's not do it together. I think the bow is probably the best option. Because I can attack it while still staying close to the group. In case some more ultra rocks slip in. Or some bugs slip in. Or there's caves in. Or those wizards turn up again. Or anything else. So I'll launch an arrow at the Carnage Crawler. The instant you want to shoulder your bro. Bow and notch an arrow. Juig steps to the side and nods approvingly. Don't think you'll get him with dust one, he whispers. That ought to stir him up a bit. Alright, so picking a number. Bonus of 42. 32 from archery. Improved by having the Grand Ashen Bow. And 10 from luck. I've got to get 75 or more. Just shoot it in the face. Pick now. 84. 84. Success. Your arrow streaks along the tunnel, immediately vanishing the gloom, before finding its mark only a split second later. The feathered shaft buries itself deep in the carnage crawler's leather flesh. The great worm thrashes about in ag agony, and whips its head in your direction. The massive carnage crawler, its countless legs ch wildly churning, switches wide its fanguaged mouth as it surges towa towards you along the tunnel. So, launch another arrow, move forward and engage the carnage crawler, or remain where I am. Uh, launch another arrow. In a remarkable display of skill, you quickly notch another arrow and take aim at the surging carnage crawler. Alright, picking a bone, pick a number. Bonus of 42 again. Got to get 50 or more. I guess it's an easier shot now that it's getting closer. And it's probably slowed down a bit too. Pick now. 112. Success. 64 experience to archery. Your second arrow also finds its mark. Bearing itself deep. Bearing itself deep in the carnage crawler's slimy flesh. Just beneath the massive worm's wide mouth. You allow yourself... So for satisfied smile as the deadly worm topples over, its pierced bulk shuddering violently as it enters the throes of death. Hey. Alright, we took down the worm and never reduced reduced the guard. That's good. Wasting no time. Jill charges ahead and deals a dying creature a single decisive blow that nearly severs its head. Wincing in disgust, he steps back from the crawler's oozing carcass, cleans off his blade, and motions for the five of you to join him. With all six of you standing before the remains of the slain carnage crawler, with Tulania keeping the children behind her, Juig seems prepared to take, take out what appears to be growing frustration on Obwina. 
He, po he pointedly accuses the self-proclaimed maze, maze of leaving them all into unknown danger. This has never happened here, cries Onubra, clearly taking issue with Jura's confrontational demeanour. These tunnels are closed off at each of the other ends. I don't know how that thing could have gotten in here. You quickly step in and manage to even mediate the situation. Explaining to everyone you feel is obvious. You cannot afford to linger here. Jurig nods and within moments the group is once again moving through the dark. The, the path ahead unevenly lit by the lantern's increasingly feeble glow. Look, look keep, you can't really keep out Carnage crawlers. They can tunnel. I mean, the only way you could keep them out would be to line the entire passage with, with stone or steel. And that, and honestly, moving enough stuff, it moving enough of that stuff in to do it will make it bloody obvious there's a secret passage there. Everyone will be like, wait a minute, why did the inn suddenly order? Why did the inn suddenly order several tons of stone which just disappeared? You probably need workmen as well to put it in. And that of course means there are people who know about it. And that, you don't want that either. Yeah. And we don't know how long this passage is. Presumably it's miles. Also, I don't, I don't even think, think he, he has the budget for that. I mean, he's he's just an innkeeper. He's not. He's not a. He's not a major merchant with you know. Franchises across the entire kingdom. He's not Tally's. Tally's could afford it, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, if 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 he could ever if he could ever remember where he put all his great wealth, which he presumably has. With the encounter with the Carnage Crawler still foremost on everyone's mind, you all remain extra vigilant as you warily press on through the maze of tunnels. Audubois, who seems preoccupied and much less sure of the correct path than he first imitated, suddenly cries out and stabs his finger at the gloom ahead. There, coming to focus out of the shallows, is the foot of a narrow wooden bridge. The bridge, perhaps 20 feet long, and which looks to be in an advanced state of disrepair, spans a jagged chasm that, divi that divides the tunnel. Jirig stops and asks Orbundra about the wickety span. But Orbundra tells him that you're nearly at the end, and that beyond the bridge you'll find a passage that slopes up and enters the forest. Jirig seems uncertain. The troll hunter proposes that he and Audubra go ahead to scout it out, leaving you, you, Talina, and the girls here until he's made certain what lies ahead is safe. A look of anguish passes over, over Talina's face. So, agree to Jirig's proposal, or offer to scout ahead with Audbrinder instead. Hmm. I think... There's more people left behind, so they'll need uh, a, more, a, a guardian with more skills. Not necessarily greatest skills, I, I don't know what Jirig's stats are. 
So, I think it makes sense for me to stay here. Okay, I'll agree to Jerry's proposal. Also, he's, he's a wheelie. He, he knows this sort of stuff. He knows all about wilderness survival, so... I'll, I'll defer to his judgement on this. Nirig nods and tells you that he and Orbrinra will return shortly then. In a move that leaves you taken aback, the troll hunter turns his attention to the two young girls clinging to their mother's side and kindly reassures them that you're safe and your father will soon be back. The only thing here worthy of our fear is soup, he says smiling, and thankfully he's on our side, so don't worry. You four stay close and we'll be right, right back. Alright, let's go. Oldenborough steps forward and embraces his wife and girls. He then hands to Lindy the lantern before returning to Jurig's side. You wish the pair luck, and then, together with Tolinia and the two girls, you watch as Jurig and Oberrock cross the wooden span and disappear into the deep gloom that envelops the far side. No sooner have you passed out of the sight does Tolinia grab your arm, forcing you to look at her. The sight of her face, suddenly ashen under the dim, flickering glow of the lantern, sets your every nerve on edge. Her next words, softened, spoken softly and clearly, as if each symbol has been chosen with the greatest care. Don't do little to relieve your growing apparition. Listen to me, she says, her face now a haunting stare, an unsettling look you won't still forget. You mustn't find Shadow Mark, or go to Quillbulb for that matter. It's a trap. The whole awful thing is a trap. Well, of course it's a trap. It's always a trap. But I am a master of illusion. So I can just send an illusionary me ahead to trigger the trap. And that will, that will face the initial deadliest blows. Yes. Yes, yes. Also, there is... I must go forward. We're talking fate of the world sort of things here. I I have to keep going. I know it's deadly. I know I might die. But I have to try. Stunned by what you just heard, you immediately ask Delinia what she means. She looks away momentarily, her eyes staring into the darkness on the far side of the bridge, as if with the intensity of her gaze she hopes to pierce the impenetrable pall of gloom. There's little more that I can say, she says, but you must trust me, and you must heed what I've been told. And whatever you do, you mustn't blame Orbwinner. He's only doing what he feels he must for, for us, for all of us. He doesn't believe there's any other way. I think he's right there. Delania crouches down and pulls her daughters close. The two girls look from their mother to you, as if wondering who will next speak and what will be said. Angered, confused, and now fearful, your entire mission seems about to be turned on its head. You demand that she explain to you what lies ahead, lies behind all what she just related. Then... Suddenly mindful of two small sets of eyes fixed on you, you speak less harshly, 
and tell her that you need to know everything. She knows everything? She, she says, her eyes beginning to tear. How can I possibly tell you everything? I can't. It's too much to know. Too much I care not to remember. I'm tired, Soup. Been tired for a long time. Don't want to hide, to run, to fear those I should have no business fearing, to help, to help further plans and agendas unknown to me, all to Orbwinner. We are mired in this, although it seems impossible. I think at last, for better or worse, we're near the end of it. We won't again return to Stokebrook. That much I know. No, I think. What if I get the book? Then all the or everything will be focused on me. Yeah, I just tell them if the people come, tell them I've went on. Even tell them where I've gone. They they'll know anyway. Put focus the danger on me. I'm 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 good at this sort of stuff. I've done it before. And I'll do it again. And I don't have children. So. The worst could happen. A lot a lot less people would be incredibly sad. And that that's something. You sense it to Alenia's anguish. Her apparent deep concern for affairs in which she and Audubra are weaselly caught up is genuine. With tears streaming down her face, she remains stooped and does her best to control her emotions as she pulls her girls closer. Still bewildered by her sudden and unexpected revelation, you strive to contain your own passion as you contemplate the significance of what you've just, just learned. Still not entirely certain you can or want to believe all of it. Again, you tell her that you need to know everything she knows. I know that you and Oz, Audible and I, that is, have one true ally in all of this, she says, slowly returning to her full height. The sorceress Coratel. She was to give you that book herself, but she could not wait for you. She knew you would arrive in Stokebrook, but I dare not guess how it is she knew. How could she have? And yet, she was certain of it. She was also afraid. We've never known her to fear anything. Whatever it was must have been truly terrible. And, as you've seen for yourself, it was. Tania tells you that Coratel's two instructions involve neither Krulbog nor the man known as Shadowmar. It says, she says, but to keep the book safe until the sorceress is again able to cross paths with you. She said she would find you when she had tended to something important. Through she would not elaborate. She rarely did, says Tolina. She was a they through. That which was plain to us, this plague of wooden men that fell upon our town and the spellcasters in their company has to be what had a one one. I continue to pray for her, Zoop. But I confess that I held on little hope for a good ending to any of this. Well, that's, that's what I'm here for. To make the impossible possible by bashing things with a mace.
You're ready to ask Tolunia about Oliver's deception, eager to know whether or not you can trust him, despite what she has already told you about his unwilling involvement. When the sound of someone approaching through the gloom on the far side of the bridge reaches your ears, Tolunia straightens up and stares off into the darkness, wiping away the remainder of her tears as she strains to catch sight of who it is that draws near. You can't let Aubrey know what I've told you, she says, lowering her voice as she fears being overheard. I don't believe she could bring himself to betray those who threaten everything he holds dear. You mustn't let him know. He's afraid to. We all, we all are. It's fear that continues to drive him. Several tense moments pass as the footfalls soft crunch of hard soles pressing into the earthen floor of the tunnel grow closer and more distinct. Suddenly, a lone figure emerges from the shadows. On the opposite side of the span, I hope, I hope it's Orbwinner. Wait, lone? Oh dear, lone. Lone figure, that's, that's not good. There's supposed to be two of them! You stifle a gasp at the sight of Orbrunner. Bloodied, stooped over and struggling to catch breath, Tulina cries out and rushes to the foot of the bridge, but she manages to stir, stand and wave her back. Go back, he cries, his voice cracking as he snatches a glance at the darkness behind him. There's too many of them. They're in the tunnels. Go back to Wound Rock. Tully, go. Get to Wound Rock. Orbrunner. Lurching along with obvious difficulty, starts across the bridge. Without a word, Talinia and her daughters turn and flee back along the tunnel. You rush forward and catch Orbrugar as he stumbles off, off the wooden span, preventing him from nearly toppling into the grasping crevasse. Leaning against you, seemingly incapable of maintaining his balance, he rapidly shakes his head as if responding to, responding to a question he's anticipated, with an answer with an answer he dreads. I don't know where he is, he says, drawing ragged breaths between each word. He told me to go. He said he would hold them off for us. There must have been three dozen of them. Yes, the Oatrock. They were waiting for us. Had to have known we were coming. They're in the tunnels. Olympobois abruptly curtails his lament and steps back from you, swaying unsteadily for a moment before suddenly finding his footing. Several long gashes on the side of his left leg appear to be the cause of the present difficulty. He quickly tells you, you that you and he must follow after Talinia and the girls. A friend is coming, he says, breathlessly as he staggers quickly back to you, following the dim, retreating glow of the fading lantern. I can get us out of here. We, we need to reach round one. I think I can get us out of here. And that finishes this, this part for 256 experience to general. Which brings us to the next part, Beneath Stokebrook. And well, that will be in the next episode. And until then, farewell 
fellow adventurous. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.